If you have a Bible, if I can invite you to to go to Genesis chapter 20. If you're using one of the, the pew Bibles, you can turn to page 14 and you'll be on the right page and kind of where we're going to be this morning. As Mike mentioned or prayed or something very early in the service, we're continuing on in our series in Abraham's life. And as we've been doing that, I think over the chunk of weeks we've been in it, we've seen that, that God has done some things, that Abraham is, there's some restoring work in God's life. Things are happening. Abraham is not quite the same guy that he was. Now, having said that, though, we probably also need to say that Abraham had some bumpy moments. The the restoration process in Abraham's life has not exactly gone the smoothest. There's been some choices and decisions that Abraham made that have complicated life. There's things that he did that weren't exactly wise things to do that complicated his life. Now, in saying that the restoration process can be bumpy, I think that raises for us potentially or should raise maybe two issues that I just want to very quickly just kind of mention. One is, really, I think you and I should be comforted by the fact that the restoration process in Abraham's life was bumpy. Because the truth is, there's probably a really good chance that it's going to be bumpy in your life and in my life. Which means if you blew it last week, or you're going to blow it this week, that doesn't mean that God is done with you. I mean, you look at the things we've looked at Abraham did. They weren't smart. They weren't right. They were wrong. And yet God continued to work in him. You know, we live in this culture where so many things are based on performance. You know, if you perform at this level, then you're great. Watched a little bit of the final four yesterday. You know, and you can say, well, yeah, both teams, you know, in the, I, I saw the end of the Gonzaga-South um, Carolina game, and you say, both teams played really well, yeah, but how many people are going to say, yeah, South Carolina's a bunch of losers because they lost? We can do that. We think, well, that doesn't matter. They, they failed, so they're done, and so we all know God doesn't view it that way. God does not operate on the same level as an NCAA basketball tournament, so we can be comforted. If your process with God has been bumpy, we can be comforted. But the second issue that this idea of it bumpy raises, I think, is the fact that there's a challenge in it for us. You know, if you've ever had to drive down a bumpy road, you start to wonder, is the road ever going to get better? I mean, do I keep going? How do I keep going? I'm going through huge, enormous potholes. My vehicle's breaking down. How do I keep going? There's a measure to which since the restoration process is bumpy, how do you and I continue down that road? How do we keep advancing if our restoration isn't everything it should be? If it's hard and it's difficult, how do we keep advancing? Well, Genesis chapter 20 has really one big idea that kind of shapes the whole chapter, and that big idea really, I think, answers the question, how do you keep advancing? And the answer to the big idea is simply this, you need to trust God's faithfulness. If you and I are going to keep advancing, even when it's bumpy, we've got to trust God's faithfulness. Now, let me make an observation even about that. Years ago, Carrie and I were in a Bible study with a group of people. And I began to notice almost every time we met, one of the guys in the group, at some point during the Bible study, usually at the end, would say the words, trust God. It was kind of like his default answer to everything, you just trust God. 
Now, I'm in no way saying trusting God is bad. I mean, we're saying we need to trust God's faithfulness. We do. It is probably the best way for you and I to approach life is we need to trust God. We need to trust His faithfulness. But here's the challenge. Every time the guy said it, you kind of got to the point, well, he's just going to say it again. And when you hear the same thing again and again and again, whether it's in a Bible study or in a church service, it can get to a point where you and I go, yeah, I heard that already. I'm supposed to trust God's faithfulness. Let's move on to something else. If you hear the same thing again and again and again, it can become trite. And folks, I don't want that to happen to us. And I'll be honest, I don't think God wants the expression, trust God's faithfulness, to be a trite thing in our lives. Genesis 20 really is all about we need to trust the faithfulness of God if we're going to keep advancing. But in the first chunk, God, in essence, wants to say, I'm going to give you two reasons why you should trust Him. So it doesn't just become a saying, trust God, okay, and move on. No, here's a reason why you and I should trust God's faithfulness. Reason number one, why should you and I trust God's faithfulness would be because God is faithful to His promises and His character. God is always faithful to Himself. Read with me verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Does this feel a little bit like deja vu? I'm not re-preaching the same sermon. This is another version. Genesis 12, Abraham did the exact same thing. Here he is in Genesis 20. Genesis 12 was not a high point of Abraham's life. Genesis 20, though, he says, here's the sequel. I want to try this again. And there's a sense in which the way Moses wrote verse 2, he almost wrote it so that you and I would basically say, Abraham, what are you doing? Abraham! Okay, God made a promise to you in Genesis 12 that He kind of elaborated on in Genesis 15. And then in Genesis 17, verse 19, He got incredibly specific. Your wife Sarah is going to have a son from you. You and Sarah are going to have a son. His name's Isaac. And then in chapter 18, verse 10, Abraham, you overheard God say the exact same thing to Sarah. Abraham, if you give your wife to another man, how's that going to happen? I mean, how does this work, Abraham, if you keep doing this? Here's the truth about Abraham that may be a truth about you and me. Abraham is not the most faithful, trustworthy person when it comes to fulfilling the plan of God. But God is. Abraham might not be. You might not be. But God is. Look at verse 3. But God sent to Abimelech, God came to Abimelech, excuse me, in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man. I don't know why it says dream there. I think nightmare would be a better explanation, but that's just me. Because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Okay, part of what we need to understand, the background of verse 3 is God is committed to His plan. If God makes a promise, He completes it. God is going to do everything He said. To be specific, Abraham's not protecting Sarah. Abraham's not protecting Sarah's part in God's plan, but God is. 
You see, God is always committed to His promises. His character is one of faithfulness, so if He says it, He's committed to it. So God's going to move in the direction of His promise. He's going to protect it to make sure it happens. Verses 4 and 5, the story continues. Now Abimelech had not yet approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not say to did he not himself say to me she is my sister and she herself said he is my brother in the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands I have done this Now to be fair to Abimelech he thought Sarah was simply Abraham's sister he didn't know about this weird thing they have going on he didn't know about that So verse 4 The question he asks in verse 4 is virtually the same question that Abraham asked God in chapter 18 and verse 25. In essence, he's saying, "Um, God, I've heard that you're a just guy. Are you going to be just here? Because, hey, I'm innocent. I I didn't do anything. I'm, I'm innocent at this point. Now, God knows that Abimelech is innocent in terms of he did not know that Sarah was Abraham's wife. Okay, he is in that sense innocent on that level. That is true. But as the story is going to reveal, um, he had a wife already. And he had kind of set his heart on sleeping with Sarah. So he's not exactly innocent on that part. He's innocent in part, but not the whole. So God says some things to him in verse 6. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Abimelech would have had no idea about God's promise to Abraham and Sarah about having Isaac. He would have had no opportunity really to know that. But God made sure he didn't cause a problem. See, God is faithful to his promise. God's committed to completing what he said, so God made sure that Abimelech could not interfere in any way, shape, or form with what God was doing. God would not let Abimelech sin against him. And the simple reason is, why did Abimelech not get to do what he wanted to do? Because God is committed to God's character and God is committed to His promises. Why would you and I trust Him? For that simple reason. If God says He is going to do it, He will do it. Now, real quick aside before we go on, we need to notice something in verse 6. It says, God lets Abimelech know that if Abimelech had slept with Sarah, he would have been sinning against Abraham. He would have been sinning not against Abraham, but against God. It's a little bit of a side in the story, but we need to realize, folks, our lives are ultimately accountable to God. Even Abimelech, the pagan king, was accountable to God. He needed to understand that. We need to understand that. Back to the main story. Why would I trust God? Because God is committed to His promises and His character. Reason number two, why should you and I trust God's faithfulness? Why would we trust God's faithfulness? Reason number two, because God is the big deal. God is the big deal. Verses 7 and 8. 
now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that, you will, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called his servants and told them these things, and the men were very much afraid. Okay, God speaks very directly to this pagan king, very clear. This is what you've got to do. And Abimelech takes God seriously. We're going to read in a minute. God tells him, this is what you need to do. And, and we'll see as the story unfolds. God does, Abimelech does exactly what God told him to do. He gives back Sarah. He goes to Abraham to have Abraham pray for him. He does exactly what God said. But what really strikes me, and I want you to just zoom in, either look on the screen of verse 8 or look in your Bible at verse 8. Verse 8 really struck me. Abimelech doesn't fool around in any of this. God spoke to him, and what is his response? He takes it seriously. He does exactly what he's told to do. Do I do that? Do you do that? God has spoken to us in His Word. Do we respond like Abimelech? If you and I play games with God, we're really expressing a whole lot of things. We may not be aware of what we're expressing, but part of what we're expressing is we're saying, you know, God, you're really not that important. And I'm really going to do my own thing. And God, it's nice that you say these things, but I don't really care. In light of what we looked at last week, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and what Abimelech is responding here, I kind of have the feeling if the people of Sodom could speak to us and if Abimelech could speak to us, they might say, maybe you should take God a whole lot more seriously than you do. He is the big deal. Nothing else trumps Him. Nothing else is bigger than He is. But do you and I really get that? Or do we just, yeah, whatever, God. Why trust God's faithfulness? Because there is nothing bigger than God. Now let me hit the pause button for a second. I pray that trusting God sounds to you like a really good approach to life. I think Genesis 20 points us there. We should trust the faithfulness of God. But I've been doing this long enough. We've been kind of together as a church family long enough to know that just because something sounds good in this room, when we go out there, when we cross the threshold of that door, it gets a lot harder to do. It's not necessarily easy for you and I to trust God's faithfulness. And if we go back to verse 2, it wasn't easy for Abraham to trust God's faithfulness. And how many personal encounters that Abraham already had with God, but he was struggling to trust the faithfulness of God. 
It's not easy for us. So how is it that you and I can trust God's faithfulness? We've kind of been given reasons why we should do it, but how do we do it? I mean, if we're really going to experience personal restoration in our lives, we need to trust Him. But how do we do that? Well, the second half of the story, I think, offers us basically three habits. Three habits that if they became a part of our life, if they kind of shaped our lives, we'd maybe move in the direction of trusting God's faithfulness. Okay, habit number one, you want to move in the direction, how can I trust God? Habit number one would be this. Turn away from past sins. Okay, turn away from past sins. Verses 9 and 10, the story continues. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Now, I don't think it's really any surprise that that Abimelech is kind of not exactly what you'd call a happy camper right now. He'd been living his life thinking everything was good. Abraham and Sarah show up, and then God says, you're a dead man. That might be a little unsettling. That might bother you a little. And so he's basically saying, Abraham, why did you do this? Why did you do this to me? Look at verses 12 and 13. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. So she, also, she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother." To be honest, verses 12 and 13 are not exactly high points in Abraham's life, in case that wasn't clear. Now, what he is saying is truthful, but it's lame. Actually, the wording of verse 13, he's blaming God. He's, you know, God set me up for this. God's fault is really what he's saying. And here's the odd thing. Abraham had done this trick before. And if you remember, it didn't work in Genesis 12. But he keeps going back to that same old sin. Instead of turning away from his old sin, he runs right back at it and gives it a bear hug. He embraces it fully. You say, why does he do that? Why did Abraham run back to his old sins? Why do you and I run back to our old sins? Why do we repeat the same evil things again and again? The quick answer is because we allow something other than God to be the ultimate in our lives. Look at how Abraham really started his reply to Abimelech in verse 11. And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God in all this place. They will kill me because of my wife. The deja vu thing is continuing. Abraham is allowing fear to control his life. 
He's afraid because he has an attractive wife, he's going to be killed. He gave that fear control in chapter 12, but God had proven him it was absolutely, completely unnecessary. You don't need to live in that fear, but he lived there. He lived there in Genesis 12, and now we're in Genesis 20, and he's run right back to it. Instead of turning from his past sins, instead of receiving forgiveness that God gives, instead of receiving from God the empowering to live life in a different direction, Abraham goes back to that stuff, to his old stuff. Okay, if you and I are going to trust God's faithfulness, we really do need to turn away from our old sins and turn away from the fear and the things that set us up for those old sins. But the question is, how do I make habit number one a part of my life? I make habit number one a part of my life by making sure habit number two is a part of my life. Okay, habit number two, I need to live united to God's promises. If I'm going to turn from old sins, it's not just me and my effort. I've got to live united to God's promises. This story in some ways in Genesis 20 is really one of those odd stories in the Bible. Okay, Abraham is supposed to be this great man of faith. Yet there's virtually nothing in chapter 20 where Abraham is expressing anything where faith and trust in God is making any difference in his life. He seems to be going the opposite direction. And the oddity of the story is Abimelech, who's a pagan king, is the example we need to follow. I mean, Abimelech receives a message from God in verses 3 to 7. Literally, you could say he received a promise. If you don't do this, I will kill you. And how does Abimelech respond starting in verse 8? He says, if that's the promise of God, I'm going to align my life and live based off that promise. That is a huge statement. That's how we turn from our past sins. We align ourselves literally with the promise of of God. Abraham could have done the exact same thing. Think about it for a second. We, let's just assume, let's just assume that Sarah is, at 90 years old, so amazingly beautiful. I mean, that's what the text says, so she obviously must be. Let's assume that's true. But what did God promise multiple times to Abraham. Your wife Sarah is going to have a baby from you. It's going to be your son and you're going to name him Isaac. How should have Abraham lived from that point on? I guess then I don't need to be afraid of my wife being beautiful. Because if God promised that they're going to have a baby together, Abraham's not going to be killed before they have a baby together. No baby had been born yet. Live according to the promise of God. Okay, to make this practical for you and me, we, I know, I don't think any of this is easy. But we need to do it. A chunk of years ago, a chunk of years more than I wish it was, some people suggested to me, I need to live united to God's promises. 
20 years later, I thought I'd give it a try. And so one of the things I've done for the last few years, somewhat regularly, is I rehearse in my mind the words of Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Those verses are a promise from God to us that His mercy is going to be new every morning. So what do I do? As I start each day, literally, I will review that verse in my head. You kind of, that's the beauty of memorizing it. And I'm like, okay, God, if that's true, then I want to align my life today that you're going to give the mercy, you're going to give the steadfast love I need to get through today. When I remember to do that, and when I remember to align my life to that promise, God does some things. And part of what God does is it helps me align my life to Him, and I see Him changing me, and I see growth. I'm not saying in any way I've got it figured out. What I'm saying is, folks, if you and I align ourselves with God's promises, we unite our lives to that, all of a sudden it's a lot easier for me to trust God's faithfulness because every day I see little tastes of His faithfulness. Habit number three. You want to trust God's faithfulness, we've got to turn from our old sins. Best way to do that is to live united to His promises. Third habit is we need to marvel in God's gracious goodness. If you want to really trust God's faithfulness, you need to marvel in His goodness. This story, this story to me ends in what is an unexpected way. Okay, look at verse 14 to 18. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who were with you and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and healed his wife and female slaves so they could so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Okay, Abraham had deceived and manipulated. He had thrown huge obstacles into God's plan. He had brought in huge complications into Abimelech's life and into Abimelech's kingdom. Okay, their babies weren't happening there. He had messed up all kinds of things. And yet what happens? Abraham gets blessed. I don't think that's how we'd expect it. I mean, in verse 15, he's basically, hey, live wherever you want. Verses 14 and 16, he is given enormous amounts of things. And then in verse 17 and 18, he has the incredible privilege to be an instrument of God to perform this amazing thing for God's plan to go forth. I mean, Abraham gets incredibly blessed. I do not believe Abraham deserved any of that. But that is the exact point of the story. 
He didn't deserve it. But God told Abraham in Genesis 12 to Abraham, I will bless you. Now, he didn't say, I'll bless you if for the next 25 years you do everything precisely right, that you never mess up, you never screw up, and I'll give you a lollipop. It doesn't say that. God said, I'll bless you. I'm going to give you these amazing things. How can we trust God's faithfulness? I think, folks, you and I need to just ponder for a minute. Look at what God has given us. To marvel that we probably have stuff we definitely don't deserve. But He blesses us. I think if you and I are going to trust God's faithfulness, we need to be overwhelmed. Look at what God has done for us. Let me just offer you one way to do that. Even if you're not artistic, there's something all of us can draw across. And I would encourage you, I would challenge you to simply daily ponder the cross. See, Jesus went to the cross, the Bible tells us, and He died in our place for our sins. We we read it when we shared in communion. God took our sin and put it on Jesus. Now, did God do that because we're really nice looking? No. Did He do it because we're nice people? No. He simply did it out of His grace, out of His love, out of His goodness. And then Jesus rose again and we can be reconciled to God. That's not something we deserve. But He made it possible. I don't deserve God's forgiveness. I don't deserve to be reconciled to God simply because I trust in Jesus. But if I do, I receive that. And here's the thing, if you and I would ponder the cross, and I think we do it daily, we'd realize that God promised in advance that He was going to do that. And He promised it in advance, really starting with the story of Abraham, which means as we've walked through the story of Abraham, we've seen that God's been faithful to Abraham. And that story just keeps going on and on and on. And you and I receive incredible blessings today we don't deserve, but He gives us. We need to marvel at that. We need to realize, look at what God has done. If you and I would marvel at what God has given us, I really do think it's going to move us to where it's a whole lot easier to trust God's faithfulness because we will see it again and again and again. I don't think it is easy to drive down a bumpy road sometimes. I don't think it's necessarily easy to keep advancing in restoration. 
you blow it and you're like, look, I screwed up again. We thought, I'm done. It's never going to happen. I'm never going to get, keep going. Folks, I think we struggle for one of two reasons. We struggle with this restoration thing for one of two reasons. Reason number one we struggle with this restoration may simply be that we've never trusted Christ. See, for restoration to happen, you have to be reconciled to Jesus first. You have to be reconciled to God. If you and I have never trusted the Lord Jesus as our Savior, if we've never turned from sin to God and trust the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we're not going to get restored. So you might be looking going, he's talking about restoration, he's talking about advancing, but I don't see it happening in my life. Then I'd ask you the question, have you trusted Christ? I'm not saying do you come to church regularly. I'm saying have you trusted Christ? Because if you and I don't trust Jesus, it doesn't start. If you haven't, then I'd say today, literally today, you could trust Jesus and get started. Second reason why it's hard to advance is because you and I don't trust God's faithfulness. We struggle with it. But I honestly think if we'd pay attention to the story of Genesis 20 and we'd realize that God wants to help us to turn away from our past sins, that He wants us to live united to His promises, and He wants us to marvel in His gracious goodness to us, we could trust His faithfulness. We could start to move forward. I don't know if you're satisfied, and I, part of me, I pray none of us are satisfied with where we are spiritually. But I would guarantee this, based on the authority of what God says, we can go much farther. We can experience so much more of His work in our lives. And that, folks, I think should drive us to want to encourage others to follow Jesus. Last week, we did a thing at the end of the service where we welcomed a couple of members. And although we talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, we kind of tied those together. Well, in some ways, today, when we talk about advancing and making forward progress in restoration, it's not just about us doing those three things. Because the truth is, we can't do those things apart from the help of God. One of the ways God helps us is by putting His Spirit in us. Another way God helps us is by connecting us to His family. And so just like last week we had a couple of folks that we formally welcomed into kind of the formalness of being a member of Central, we're going to welcome a couple of others. So if I can get Mark and Marla to come on up here with me. We want to officially kind of formally welcome Mark and Marla Ploin. Did I say it right? I practiced all week. So we want to say we are delighted, and i got to make sure I give you the right cards, that you're joining us. Because in essence, one of the things they're saying to us this morning is they want help to trust God's faithfulness. And probably what we're saying back to them is we need your help to trust God's faithfulness. We don't do this alone. We do this as a family 
who has a Father who's put a spirit in us for His glory and His honor. So we're delighted to have you join us. And as I always say, this is your one free pass. I can't put up two fingers and say one. This is your one free pass to leave the service early. So if you want to go out there, folks are going to come out there and greet you. We're going to pray for you. So... So what I ask you to do is they're going to be on this side of the atrium you can greet them and then I need you to go across the other side of the atrium and greet John and Alana and learn a little bit more about how God's blessed their ministry. So would you pray with me to wrap things up? Father, we come to you in part out of our own weakness. Lord, I confess that I struggle trusting you, trusting your faithfulness. In that sense, I guess I feel a kindred spirit in a sense with Abraham. Lord, I thank you that you share some things in your word that aren't always the most pleasant to help us. Lord, you want to do a work in our lives. You do want us to know a restoring movement of you so that we really are changed so that we really are conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. That's not always an immediate thing. But Lord, you want to work and move in our lives. And I pray through the story of Abraham, we're seeing how you do that. And I pray, Lord, we'd align with that. I pray, Lord, also, given the fact that we do this in the context of a church family, This isn't something you ever intended for us to do solo, but to do it in community. And so, Lord, I thank you for us being gathered like this. And I pray we'd realize we need the support of others. And so as we add folks, new members, that we'd realize they need us and we need them. And not only that, Lord, but what you're doing in our lives, you want to spread and you want shared. You want us to encourage others to follow Jesus. Some of that is what you want to do locally in our lives right here, right where you are. And some of it is in partnership like with the Penningtons. And I pray, Lord, that we are faithful to that partnership and we honor and bless and encourage them. Lord, I pray as we go from this place, it would be mindful of your incredible love for us the deep, deep love of Jesus. And may that move us to trust your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that that is so who you are. May we marvel in that this week. In the precious and powerful name of Jesus, we pray.